my family and I were living in Korea uh, for a few months. And uh, while we were there, we found out that if you were to meet someone from Korea for the first time, that one of the first questions that you would be asked would be, how old are you? And the thinking goes like this, if I'm older than you, then you need to show me respect, even if it's by a few weeks. But if, if you're older than me, then the reverse is true. Now, now, that might sound strange to our ears, but is it any stranger than the first question we ask each other, which is, what do you do? Because really what we're asking each other is, how do you spend most of your day, or what do you do to make money? Which is kind of a weird thing to ask someone that you've never met before. And I think that all creatures, folks, you know, things that, whether animal or human, things that have, have been made by God, everything that's been created by God, I think, has an instinctive need to try to make sense of the creature in front of them. So for dogs, they sniff each other's butts, okay? For us, we say, what do you do? And it comes naturally because it's a bit of a safe question to ask. And the truth is, is that God's in front of you right now, and he's in front of me, and he doesn't ask us, what do you do? Or even he doesn't shake our hand and say, how do you do? God's main concern is, why do you do? Why do you do? He's more concerned with the motives and the heart more than he is where you are on the corporate ladder. In fact, that really doesn't matter to him at all, um, except for how he's able to use you in that role. And so, you know, so the Lord comes up to you and he says, why do you do? Why do you do? And so if I was to ask you now to turn to the person next to you and to shake their hand, look them in the eye and say, why do you do? I wonder what your answer would be. How would you respond? In fact, after the service, that's what I'd like to maybe ask you to do is to go up to someone and just, just see what it's like. Walk up to someone and say, why do you do? and see what their answer is. What is their motivation in life? We're, we're looking through this series, memes, memes That Matter, and memes that matter are biblical principles in the shape of words in the book of Proverbs that are easy to remember, and if we let them, they can infect our lives in a positive way and they can spill over into society in a powerful way. Last time we uh, looked at anger, uh, this, this kind of su this subterranean volcanic activity in our lives, and we determined that we would, get un we would get wholly angry with unholy anger. Now we're looking at work. We're looking at laziness and workaholism. And we're, and we're asking this question, why do you do? And why do you do, as it says here on the screen, matters much, much more than 
What do you do? And, and we will start in the book of Proverbs and then we'll range out a little bit. And the first thing that we realize from the Bible is that work is important. In fact, we read in the first, first uh, chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, So God created mankind in his own image. He created humans in his own image. In the, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And, and then the very next thing that he does is that um, he blesses them. And then he says to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over all of the other creatures. This is the second thing that, as we read in the Bible, God says to humans. And this is the language of work. This is the language of what our calling is, our, our vocation. God created us, and then he said, now work. Now, the fun thing is the be fruitful side of that work is actually quite fun. But it was work, nonetheless. Sorry, that was a joke. Never mind. <laughs> being, being fruitful and multiplying is the fun part of our work, right? Okay. All right. So, so what we read in the book of Proverbs is more, more along the same line, that work is important. It says, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. 10 verse 5. It says all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty, 13 verse 4. The lazy do not roast any game, but those who work hard feed on the riches of the hunt, 12 verse 27. Uh, 16 verse 26 says this, that, that the, the, the hunger or the appetite of laborers works for them, their hunger drives them on. And my favorite, if you're a student here who's looking at what your summer holiday is going to look like, it says this, do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food for you to spare. Proverbs 20 verse 13. So maybe you want to write that down, put it on your mirror. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. And then we even read in the book of Proverbs how to prioritize our work, our various aspects of work. Um, one, one of the Proverbs says this, that you are to put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. After that, you are to build your house. Okay, so crops first, fields first, then your house. Proverbs 24, 27. And so... In general, if you were to look at the book of Proverbs through the eyes of a workaholic, then it seems almost unfairly pro-work. For example, Proverbs chapter, 30, uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30, says this. 24, verse 30. It says this. I, I, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns, th thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. And I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty 
will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And many of us like to pride ourselves right, on our 50-hour weeks, our 60-hour weeks, our 70-hour work weeks. We're like the ants of Proverbs 6, verse 6. But there is another side to what we read in, read in the book of Proverbs, but you kind of have to look a little harder to find it. So if you read Proverbs 23, verse 4, it says this. This is the other side of what we read in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your, your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like, like an eagle. So don't wear yourself out in order to get rich. That's in the Bible. It's clear. But when we're reading the book of Proverbs... In general, if you're more inclined to rest than work, if that's kind of where you lean, you know, you'd rather lie on the couch than go outside and, you know, and work, then you might start to feel a bit of an uncomfortable itch between your shoulder blades. Maybe you shouldn't have binge watched that show for three hours last night on Netflix. However, on the other hand, if you're someone who's always up earlier than the sun rises and you're, you know, you're always doing something, you're mowing the lawn, you're fixing the car, you're renovating the house, you're working on the laptop, you're always taking calls, you're, you're always taking the kids to some after-school program somewhere, and even when you're watching TV, you're doing something like folding laundry, if that's more like you, then you might start to feel a little bit smug, you know? <sighs> Because after all, it's in the Bible, right? And maybe you start thinking that those ants in Proverbs chapter 6 should come and maybe look at your ways because they might learn a thing or two. And the thing with the book of Proverbs is that, is that it can leave you feeling unnecessarily guilty or unwarrantedly smug if you're not careful, if you don't understand what a proverb is. So you might feel more righteous or more sinful based on what you have done or what you haven't done. And as we know, that is not in line with the message of the gospel, right? Our righteousness is not based on what we have or we haven't done. So it's important that we understand what proverbs are and aren't. Now, one of our tendencies when reading the book of Proverbs, when the book of Proverbs is, is, is that we think this. What I'm reading here in this particular verse is true all of the time in every circumstance regardless. So if we read, say, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, which says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. If we read that, then we might conclude that we should always be doing something practical and we should never use our imaginations, which we know is not true because there's a lot of imagination in the Bible, loving God with our minds. Instead, how we should look at the book of Proverbs, is that we should treat it as an insight into how life in general works, okay? 
It's a, it's a way to look at how life in general works. In general, this is true. One writer explains, explains it like this. He says that the, the very literary form of proverbs mean that they can overstate or oversimplify. There is no fine print, there is no footnotes, there is no list of exceptions. So, for example, one exception to Proverbs 12 verse, verse 11 would be a hard-working farmer whose crop actually fails to circumstances beyond his or her control. And so it's really important that we, we try, to, try to move away from a simplistic reading of the book of Proverbs. Otherwise, you could walk away from this saying, as long as I work hard, then I'm okay. But that kind of reading, like I said, is rather simplistic. It treats Proverbs like a toaster. If I put bread in and I press down, then a couple of minutes later, toast will for sure result. If I work hard and do everything, then everything's going to be okay because, God, it's in your word, therefore it's a promise, right? But one, but one writer says this, that, that what we read in Proverbs, it focuses on the general rules and not the exceptions. It focuses on the general rules and not the exceptions. And there are many people that we know, maybe even yourself, who've worked hard and who have not succeeded. And there are many people as well, and we read about them in the news, who've hardly, it seems, that they've worked one day in their life and they're swimming in millions. And I know that none of you are listening to me because you're waiting for the toast to pop up. <laughs> but that's okay. So life is complex. Life is complicated. There are many exceptions. And this same writer who said that last quote also said this. He said that proverbs are probabilities, not promises. Okay, write that down if you're someone that's making notes. Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. So let's live out what we read in the book of Proverbs, but let's not treat it like a gumball machine or a toaster, because we all have those moments where we say, uh, what happens when working hard is not enough? What, what, what happens when I'm working as hard as I can, but I don't seem to be able to make ends meet? Or what happens, how can I live out work, at work as a, you know, you know um, what do I do if I have to work hard in a job that I hate, for example? How can we live with meaning even when we're not living the dream? And so for this, I want to turn to a passage that's written to the lowest of the low who are in a work situation that none of us would wish for. They, they weren't living out their dream. These, these were people who had never sat down with a guidance counselor and said, here is my skill set, what sort of a job should I have? On the face of it, their job was not fulfilling, rubbish pay, there was no exit plan, there was no 60 days notice if they wanted to get out of it, there was zero health benefits and zero vacation time. And of course, I'm talking about slaves. 
Because here's my thinking, is that if Christian slaves in the, in, in the Roman Empire could have a God-centered, healthy view of work, then whatever your circumstances, zero exceptions, if they can have a healthy view of work, then you can have a God-centered, healthy, fulfilling view of work as well. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, which we also will have on the screen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and in order to curry their favor, but, but... This is how you should be doing it, with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Note that, whatever you do, work at it with all, your, all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. So here's what we call in the UK a spirit level, um, which sounds like a way to measure your spirituality, but this is what we call in the UK a spirit level. Here it's just called a level. Um, I do actually have a spirit level at home, but it's like that size. It's a bit, it's rather embarrassing, and so I asked the Hollands if I could use their spirit level. So uh, this is much more of a, a manly, hard-working spirit level that uh, looks like it's been used once or twice, unlike mine. So, uh, and here's the reality, okay? If you tip it this way, then you have laziness. If you tip it this way, then you have workaholism. Laziness, workaholism. And yet... And this is a sin, this is a sin, okay? Workaholism is a sin, shock, in, um, but that's what, what we read in the Bible. But if you can get it exactly right with the bubble in the middle, then, then what you have is not laziness or workaholism, what you have is a healthy work ethic, and that is what the Lord wants. And it all starts with working out, um, what is your motivation for work? Who are you working for? And as we read in Colossians 3 verse, verse uh, 22, it says, for, um, for it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Verse uh, 24. So it says there, right? It says, for the Lord, for the Lord, from the Lord it is the Lord who you are serving. And so this truth helps you to steer clear of laziness and helps you to steer clear of workaholism. Now, I know that we like to excuse workaholism. We like to kind of park it there in the acceptable sins area of our life. Yeah, it's a sin, but it's not a sin. Uh, how do I know this? Because we are, we are always, it's always on our lips, right? How much we work. So what would happen if you walked up to me and every time you walked up to me and you said, Hey Dan, 
how's it going? And I said to you, struggling with lust, fantasizing about women that aren't my wife, again. And then next week you walked up to me and I said, struggling with lust, fantasizing about women that aren't my wife, again. And the week after, and the week after, how long would it be before you started to think something is not right here? We need to have a conversation, Dan. Or what would happen if you walked up to me and, and asked me how, how things are going? I said, same as last week, wanting to kill people in the murderous rage. <laughs> you know, what, what would happen? And yet, with workaholism, somehow it's okay. How are things? Super busy, crazy, insane. I feel like a chicken running around, head cut off. And being, working hard isn't wrong. But if that's your always answer and it just falls off your tongue every single time, then perhaps you need to reassess some things. Now, I work as a pastor and I fear being misunderstood as lazy. Let, let me explain, because my job isn't a normal job. There are many people who don't know what goes on in a pastor's work week. And I know that some people might wonder what I do all week. And I've learned, you know, how to brush it off with a joke. Well, yeah, well, I only work two hours a week on a Sunday morning. Ha, 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 funny, funny, funny. But that joke actually comes from a fear that I'm being viewed as lazy. And yet I don't have the same fear of being perceived as a workaholic. In fact, I, I, would, I, would, I would glow with pride if I heard, if, or if I found out that, 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 that folks were, were, were worried about me because that pastor, Dan, he works too much, okay? You know, that would make me feel proud. And so we excuse workaholism as the most respectable of sins if we consider it a sin at all. Now, we all have a view of Christ. Uh, so it, if I say to you, Jesus, you, you would have an image in your mind, right? We, we all do. An image of Jesus in our mind. And you know, whether it's a carpenter or a wandering preacher or a healer. And I have an image in, in my mind of Jesus that he was a real bloke who used duct tape instead of bandages, uh, who worked long hours and never stopped. That in some ways, you know, that this Jesus that I have in my mind is a little bit of a workaholic. But let's look at what we actually read in the Bible. What was Jesus' reputation? After all, he's our example of what a godly, well-balanced life looks like. So here are some facts that we read in the Bible. Now, this isn't the whole truth, and I'm kind of making a point here. But here are some facts which we see. Jesus kept leaving his, work of play, his place of work and going for long walks in the countryside. Matthew chapter 14, Luke chapter 5. Jesus even encouraged his, his, his employees to leave the shop floor and play hooky with him. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. 
Jesus would sneak in and out of places trying not to be seen, Mark chapter 7. He was never really in a rush, never he was never in a hurry. The only exception is when he looked at the cross and said, that's what I have to do. That's the, that's the only time it seems that he was, he was really in a rush. He seemed very relaxed, very calm. He always made time for people at the weirdest times. Sometimes he'd stop an entire crowd of folks who had things on their agendas so that he could meet the needs of one individual. So he didn't really make the best use of the hours in the day that he had. Mark, Mark chapter 10 tells us that. One, one time he took off for a month and a half for a retreat, Mark chapter 1. And he had the, rep the reputation of being an alcoholic who kept stuffing his face at the all-you-can-eat buffets. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. So what would happen if in North Gore, if I was known, known as a glutton, if I was known as a drunk who could never be found in the office because I was off for another flipping walk in the countryside, and yet if someone came up to me and asked me to meet, I somehow always had time to meet with them. I don't want to have that reputation. I really don't. I, you know, when I get to show you um, what's in my work calendar, I feel, I feel rather proud about it. You know, it's, it looks rather full. And, and, you know, and if we're to meet, then I want you to know that I'm squeezing you in, you know. And we will make it work somehow. I will make it work because you're that important to me. But it will actually cost me something because I have a full calendar. That's what I want you to know. Now, I'm not a workaholic, absolutely not. But I'd rather be seen as a workaholic than be seen as lazy. And here's the sad thing, is that the workaholics among us would have seen Jesus as being probably on the lazy side of the scale. And yet Jesus, he didn't care at all. He didn't care, not one little bit. And I think that's because he understood Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for who? For the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from who? Or from whom? From the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And like it or not, Jesus is our model. He was, he was willing to have people misunderstand him and read him wrong. He was willing to have people draw the wrong conclusions about him that he was a glutton and drunk because he, he wasn't a glutton. He wasn't a drunk, but he had that reputation. And he was happy to have people misunderstand him if it meant that you and I would end up with a model worth worth following, worth emulating. And so if the message that, that we draw from Proverbs is generally that work is good, then the message that we draw from Jesus is that workaholism is bad. Jesus calls us to rest in him. He calls us to, you know, to kick off our shoes and to be with him. 
He is grieved when our calendars are so full that we aren't able to squeeze in any time with him in silence and in solitude. It hurts Jesus' heart. Think about that. When you can't meet with him because things are so full, it hurts him. It actually has an impact on him. It leaves him feeling sad. Okay, he's perfectly content and he's happy and he's, you know, he needs nothing. He doesn't need you. And yet on some level, when you can't meet with him because things are so full, it leaves him sad. It hurts him. When I can say, okay, Jesus, I might be able to carve out 15 minutes three, three weeks from now, that's a sad answer. Laziness is a sin, but so is workaholism. And laziness is a sin, right? You think, well, being lazy is wrong because being lazy is wrong, but there's actually a reason for it. And laziness is a sin because laziness is saying to God, I reject being made in your image as a worker. And, and so I want to do my own thing. You have zero claim over my life. And that's why often it's the lazy person who's played with sin, with maybe doubts, with, uh, with, with just generally feeling low in life. Because we were, we were created to get physically tired and mentally tired. God made us. So that, we would, so that we would do that. And workaholism, on the other side, workaholism is a sin because it's saying to God, I reject that you are God and that you have everything under control. Why did God say to us, as one of the ten major things he said, why did he say you should have a Sabbath? What, because God created, wanted to create a society, a new world order, which had folks in it, citizens, who trust him sufficiently to take one day off a week so that we could be with him and those that we love. Not earning money, not fixing stuff, just being off. To, to, um, to, to have our trust in him so much that we can leave those unfinished tasks and those unread emails because we have a conviction that God has this. Now, I have a friend from Malaysia who during one of the most intense times of her life when she was studying very hard and she was working very hard and she was everything else very hard, well, God spoke to her and said, I want you to take one day off a week and not do that stuff. Not study, not work, not whatever. And it was hard, but she chose to live a Sabbath life. And it was incredibly hard for her. Because in that season for her, not working was much harder than working, right? But she said, okay, God... And she kind of viewed it as a test. Okay, you have to come through while I do this. And somehow everything worked out for her. She walked through it. She walked out onto the other side. She did well. She did really well. And what she learned in that season was an important lesson about trusting in her God who loves her enough to say, you have to rest. Because when we don't rest, 
We are robbing God of the opportunity to bless us by meeting our needs. Let me say that again. When we don't rest, we are robbing God of, the opportun- of his opportunity to bless us by meeting our needs. We are stealing his glory. Both workaholism and laziness are rejecting the way that God has made us. Laziness is what happens when we take a good thing, rest, and we take it to an extreme And workaholism is what happens when we take a good thing that God gave us, work, and we take it to an extreme. They are both establishing our own kingdom with our own rule of law and saying, God, we reject your rule of law. Now, in the Bible, we read this. In fact, let's read read it all together. Ready? One, two, three. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We demolish. We take captive. These are strong, strong words, right? This is, this is, this is warfare speak. And so have you allowed unhealthy thoughts the freedom to run through your mind? Have they multiplied like weeds across the landscape of your psyche? Have you allowed these unhealthy thoughts to maybe choke out the the, the wonder and the truth that the word that God has been planting in your life like seeds? Have you made excuses for the laziness in your life? Because rest is a good thing, but maybe you're taking it to the extreme. Maybe you, you think that you've earned this lifestyle, that somehow you are, earned, you are owed this uh, lazy life. Well, the answer is that you have to repent. You have to repent. You have to start thinking God's thoughts, not your own. And then on the other side, have you made excuses for workaholism in your life? Are you resisting even using the word workaholic? Because that's not really you. You just have a good work ethic. But really, you know that, that uh, you are wearing that as a badge of, of uh, maybe pride. That you look, look down on those who don't work as hard as you do, that uh, you try to squeeze in some reference to your full calendar whenever you, you have the opportunity. Well, you have to repent. Systems of pride and systems of workaholism set themselves up against the knowledge of God, as 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 tells us. These are thoughts of rebellion against God's established order of healthy balance of work and rest as lived out by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These, these, these thoughts set you against God himself, right? They break God's heart. But these thoughts also set yourself, they, they set you up against the knowledge of yourself as well, which, which, which means this. If you consistently overwork yourself, if you consistently maybe underwork yourself, then you stop yourself from knowing yourself in the way that you should. Because we were, being, because we were made 
that we would know ourselves in relation to the Lord. We were made in his image. We were created to engage in meaningful work for him and then, and then to retreat with him in and out, ebb and flow. Six days shall you labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do some work, most work, or maybe any work. It's the latter, Exodus 20. So when we, when we reject God's rule and we set up our own kingdom, we actually become less and less human, okay? We become someone that we no longer recognize in the mirror. We lose our humanity. We end up as a shell of ourselves, a husk. But when we choose to live a life of, you know, healthy balance, when we... When we do that hard work of resting in God and letting him fill in all of the gaps, it's at that moment that we enjoy the truth and the wonder of becoming more and more human, made in God's image, walking in Jesus' footsteps. This is the place where we find out this amazing truth that why do you do matters much more, way more than what do you do.